DFL. David Naylor is our TSN football insider, one of them. Uh, David, how are you today, sir? Very well, Jim. Very good. Very well, and good to be with you. Our, our pleasure to have you. And, and so, you know, the Bucks again, and Chris Collingsworth said on the broadcast, don't give the ball back to Brady with 124 left in the clock because you know what he's going to do. And he did. March them downfield. They get the game-winning field goal after the Cowboys thought they had done the same. And, and this is what we're going to see out of the Bucks, isn't it? Well, I mean, it just seemed almost predictable. And, and you know, watching Tom Brady last night, I, I was thinking about, you know, the way – we're learning about sort of sports science and the way the brain works is a lot of it is just repetition, right? That you need to be able to anticipate and, and sort of have that split second glimpse into the future. When you've seen things over and over and over and over again, you can anticipate what's going to happen. That's a big part of the way athletes brains work in any sport. And when you think of Tom Brady with 22 years in the NFL, uh, the number of repetitions he's had, the number of situations he's been in exactly like last night in his career. Of course, the mo- reason most players never get to take advantage of that is their bodies <laughs> degenerate, you know, before they get to 44, at least based on the standards that they have to be to play professional football. And yet, you know, watching Brady last night, you could almost feel the inevitability that the Ticats, you know, the, excuse me, that the Ticats, that the Cowboys felt. Um, and, and that, that, that uh, that there was just a sense that, as you say, if they left him enough time on the clock, it was just a matter of time. And Brady, it was just kind of methodical the way he threw those three balls out of bounds and uh, to to narrow the clock, stop it, narrow the clock, stop it. It was it was almost like it was just written in a book somewhere exactly how you do it. Yeah, I mean, there's been other episodes of this. I mean, certainly uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have done this. Uh, you think of the 49ers teams, uh, teams on top do this. But but this is the guy, and regardless of where he plays, it happens, and he does it at an age that nobody's done it before. And, and he really makes it, you know, the, the stupendous look routine, doesn't he? Well, and he's, like, he's not only doing it at an age no one ever, has ever done it before. No one's ever played quarterback at this age. Like, never mind playing quarterback at <laughs> this well. Like, it's, it's yeah. one thing if you're still playing at an age that no one else has ever played. It's another thing if you're playing at an extremely high level that is kind of above uh, your competition. When you combine those two things, I mean, I, I just, there's no precedent in sports, never mind in football, that I can think of, you know, for an athlete who was, you know, the senior in his sport historically, not even of the current time, but historically, and was still, you know, an elite player. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't happen very often. And, and like, you, you, certain look, quarterbacks get their reputations made by what they do in the final possessions. And it's just, it was just so, so calm and so methodical. And look, I, I thought it was a great football game. I mean, it, it felt like one of those games, and they said it right on the broadcast, where, Whoever got the possession last was going to win. And just there was two quarterbacks that were bang on. And, I mean, Dak Prescott returning from all that time off to have a 400-yard passing game against a team that essentially shut down the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year, that wasn't a bad opener for him either. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could look at this, and somebody has actually said that that this team could go seventeen and zero. I I wouldn't jump on that bandwagon, but but when you're doing the the total season review on the Bucks, you might refer back to Week One and how close the Cowboys came to recording a rare victory against Tampa, and you know, there it was, it was theirs for for the taking, but they just couldn't get it done. Well, and and they say there was you know there was a play down on the goal line right before where Tampa could have cashed it in and they would have gone up by I believe it would have been nine with a converted touchdown and that would have changed the dynamic but you know that's that's part of the game 
when a guy fumbles the ball as he's going into the end zone. And that really is what set up Dallas to have that opportunity. And, you know, it, it's managing the clock is, is such a, it's such a skill. And when you've got the guy on the other side that, and Chris Collins was saying this on the broadcast all last night, right? Is that you, 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 you want to be, you're not playing for the field goal. You're playing for the touchdown. Obviously, when you get into a fourth and sixth yeah. situation, you're going to take that field goal. But the whole mentality of that drive for Dallas, you know, had to be one of two things, and neither one happened. One, we've got to get in the end zone, so the Brady's got to get into the end zone to beat us, or we've got to kick a field goal with, with a, left, a little time left on the clock so he doesn't have time to, get, to lead his team to a field goal. And unfortunately, the Cowboys couldn't do either of those things and ultimately, that left the door open for Tampa Bay. So, Dave, as we progress into week one of the NFL season, I'm going to divide this into a couple of categories. First category is teams on the spot, pressure on teams. And I've come up with, off the top of my head, Bills, Rams, and Steelers. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess if you believe expectations are pressure, then then I would agree with that. I mean, I, and I, you know, I, did a, I got an essay that's running on uh, SportsCenter, Later, I believe it's uh, tonight at six o'clock. Um, you know about that whole thing about Buffalo is that th- there has been there have been hope, uh, there has been sort of guarded optimism in the NFL in Buffalo over the last few years, but we haven't seen a team where there are actually expectations. I mean, the Bills were thirteen and three last year. I mean, they were the highest scoring team in the AFC. Uh, this is not about building confidence. This is not about you know, hoping that Josh Allen rounds into something. This is a guy who's being paid like one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL with a team that was 13 and three. You know, there's a stopper in the conference in Kansas City that everybody recognizes. But yeah, you know, there's certainly expectations and, and pressure on Buffalo in regards to that. And, and you mentioned Pittsburgh. I, you know, we're we're at the we're at, we're, the, the Steelers are about to pass the, the baton, the quarterback baton on at some point. Um, ben Roethlisberger has you know come out of that draft, the same draft that Eli Manning came out. He's retired. I believe it's the same draft that Philip Rivers was in. You know, he's moved on. And yet you've got Ben Roethlisberger, who's taken a lot of hits and a lot of blows and, and put himself you know in the Steeler uh, list of greatness. But they're running out of time with him. And I think that's one of the other things to put pressure on the organization. And the third team you mentioned? Uh, Rams, just because they, they rolled the dice in Stafford. So, I mean, they're not, they didn't do yeah. that to, to sort of su- suffer, right? Well, no, and, and, I, and you're right. And, and I think the curious thing, for the, there's kind of <laughs> going to sound, sound like I'm saying the same thing, but I think people are as curious to see what the Rams are going to be like with Matthew Stafford as they are to see what Matthew Stafford is going to be like with the Rams. Just because yeah. you've had this guy who's been part of an organization that has had trouble getting stuff right, you know, for the last you know, 40 years. And, you never, and you've seen players that were in Detroit that, you know, you know, walked away from the game. Essentially, part of it would feel like because they were in a situation where they didn't think that they were going to be able to flourish, whether it was Barry Sanders, whether it was Calvin Johnson, Megatron walking away. And those are two respectively all-time great players at running back and receiver. Both of them played their entire careers as Detroit Lions and never really established anything team-wise. And Matthew Stafford was kind of on that trajectory. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on, on him and, and the Rams, I would say, this year with, with the move that they've made, because, as you say, that's a now move. 
Uh, and the other category I have is all these young quarterbacks, uh, and there's just a, you know, young quarterbacks and, and quarterbacks on new teams, uh, which is uh, sort of at a record level for the NFL. It's happened periodically in the past, but I, I just wonder, like, how many of these guys do you think will have the positive impact that most people assume they might have? Not as many as people assume. And, and here's one of the things, and I've been doing some research on this last year, is looking at the number of teams that have quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round. And you know, it's a very, very high percentage, and a much higher percentage than, say, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I remember a story, when I, I mean, I was writing at the time, the Globe and Mail, so the early 2000s, where there were, there were more undrafted quarterbacks in the playoffs one year than there were guys that were first-round picks. You know, that was when Jeff Garcia was around, when Flutie was around, when Kurt Warner was around. Um, you know, and, and, and it was, but, but you've seen, what you've seen now is every year there are quarterbacks that fly off the board early in the first round draft pick. And I don't think that necessarily means that those guys, in terms of their stock and their talent and where they rank among NFL players, are higher than the guys that were being taken in the second round, you know, a generation ago. I think what's happened is the, the, the way the NFL game has evolved and the emphasis on quarterbacks and certain types of quarterbacks has every team kind of salivating that their guy is going to be the next Patrick Mahomes you know, or Josh Allen in, the, in this case now as we're talking about. And they're not all going to be. So just because a guy was taken 12th overall or 17th overall, um, like I, again, I think a lot of those guys would have been – you know, guys that would have slipped down the draft a little bit. It's just the premium on the position has become such that we have more and more of these guys taken. And, you know, if, if being a first-round pick or the upper half of a first-round pick guaranteed greatness, we'd, we'd have a lot different look in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I, I think there are going to be some guys that, that you know, there always are, the guys that figure it out. But, you know, it's not like every quarterback that's taken in the first round is going to be his team's savior the way they hope. Yeah, and it also depends on what what that quarterback's stepping into. I mean, he had Stafford stepping into the lines. There wasn't much development there for him. So, so that that's a that's a story for another day. But let's move to the CFL. Week six is upon us. Thirty two nineteen Tiger Cats over Toronto on Monday and Friday night at BMO Field tonight. Uh, you can listen to it on TSN ten fifty. You can watch it on TSN. They they have the rematch. No speedy banks for Hamilton. And quite frankly, David, in that Labor Day game, Hamilton had their way, and the Argos did not. I mean, so not all of that gets repeated tonight what's your your take on the rematch well i think the big thing for hamilton one of the big things was that was the first time they've had their starting front four uh, all together laurent Hauser, garrett davis and dylan Wynn making his first start of the year and we saw a difference i mean they were in toronto's backfield the argos weren't able to run to run the ball now, ultimately simone lawrence gets an interception late in the game because they're right in the quarterback's face in, in kind of desperation time so so that was one of the things that Hamilton did very well. They've also seemed to have cleaned up some of the issues they had on the offensive line early in the season. Uh, and they've started to integrate some of the new receivers that they brought in this year that, that maybe weren't as familiar with, uh, you know, the schemes and the routes and those kinds of things. And you saw Tim White, who, you know, is a, is a guy who has some great athleticism, made a great stretch out catch last week. So, you know, here you have Hamilton to start out 0-2, and they scored, what, 14 points the first two games? Um, now, granted, playing at Saskatchewan and at Winnipeg are two of the toughest games on the, on the schedule, but this is a team that went 15-3 last year. The other part we can't ignore is the fact that they've, they've gone with Dane Evans. Now, it's been to injury, and Jeremiah Mazzoli is, is out again this week. But, you know, I, I look at that situation, and it seemed like the margin between deciding who was the starting quarterback and who was the, was the backup 
was about as thin as it could be. I mean, it's, uh, Orlando Steinau was pretty clear that this was an open competition at training camp. He didn't name a starter until the very end of camp. Uh, and so now that they, they've struggled under Mazzoli and have thrived under Dane Evans, and I'm not trying to hang everything on Jeremiah Mazzoli for the first two weeks of the season, but I, I think it's going to be a real interesting question about uh, who does he get his job back when he heals up. I, I would think if the Ticats uh, continue to score and the offense continues to move at the pace that they have of late, you know, that, I, I mean, that's a very open question. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and again, it's it's not to uh, say who's better because I think they're both really good quarterbacks. Uh, it just seems to me that, that that offense works better with Evans. How about you? Well, I, I would agree so. And and I think part of that, as I mentioned, you know, he, he's had more time. The offensive line has played better against him. They've been running the football a little better uh, with with him than they did. So there's there's other things that have happened in motion here. But you can't ignore the fact when you look at the point total. Like as you said, I think it's uh, what they get, 27 and then 32, sort of 59 yeah. versus 14. I mean, sure, there's other elements that go into that, but but ultimately, uh, having the football on offense is about scoring points, and that's something that Jane Evans has been able to lead them to do that they weren't able to do under Jeremiah Masoli. And again, different competition. I, I don't think Toronto and Montreal's defenses are, are as good as maybe Saskatchewan's and, and Winnipeg's are, but um, you know, you're not talking about that they scored. You know, three or four more points over a couple of games. They they scored forty five more. Yeah, big moment for both teams because it's the it's the back to back interdivisional games. Uh, obviously, Hamilton, if they were to win this, that would be three straight in their own division, which is a great way to climb up the standings. And if the Argos would, were to lose this, that would be two straight to Hamilton, which is not something you want to do. I just found out on Monday that the Argos really couldn't develop their offense. They couldn't use it to to develop the game plan. And I just, if I was an Argonaut fan, I'd be very frustrated with that. But I would look for that to happen tonight. How about you? Yeah, I think the other thing they, they weren't able to run the ball, which is you know part of part of what sets up the pass, and and they had been able to do it certainly, uh, you know, in their previous game against Winnipeg very well. You know, going with two import backs with John White and DJ Foster, and DJ Foster I think is, a, is an intriguing guy. We haven't seen that much of. I mean, he he can run the ball, he can also catch it very well out of the backfield. I think that's something else they want to get going. But it, it was a, it was disappointing, I think, because you know we we had a we saw a very Strong start out of McLeod Bethel-Thompson week number one. He's not able to follow that up the week after. Then they start Nick Arbuckle. They get a very strong start out of Nick Arbuckle against what has pretty much been acknowledged as the best defense in the league in Winnipeg, and then they aren't able to follow that up in Hamilton. So, you know, maybe this is something you kind of expect when you're still talking about a young quarterback. I mean, Nick Arbuckle, that was his ninth start of his career. You know, he had seven in 2019. He's had two this year. You've got a lot of players in the Argonauts who were on other teams last year. And, you know, I think what teams try to build towards over the course of the season is consistency, but sometimes that can be hard to come by in the first couple of weeks of the season. And I, I, I think that's what we sort of, especially with some of the other variables that have been thrown into the mix here. So I, I thought it was a you know, disappointing day for the Argonauts, um, but, but not a terrible one. Okay, so triple header on Saturday. Saskatchewan three and one visiting four and one. Winnipeg, Calgary one and four visiting two and two. Edmonton and Ottawa one and three visiting two and two. BC. Really, you can circle that and go uh, big moments for Ottawa and Calgary in their respective games because you don't want to go one and four. You don't want to go one and five, which would, Calgary would. And, and Bo Levi Mitchell is on the way back, which tells me the injury sounded worse than it actually was. Yeah, I, I think there's two very different situations for these teams. I mean, I, I think Ottawa is a young team that we know probably wasn't going to be competitive for the division this year, 
But on top of that, they've got a quarterback crisis now. I mean, they went all in on Matt Nichols this offseason. I mean, he, he of course, has a history with Paul Apolice, the, the head coach in Ottawa, who was the offensive coordinator in Winnipeg. I mean, Matt Nichols threw for 79 touchdowns and more than 13,000 yards from the start of the 2016 season until he suffered that season-ending shoulder, shoulder injury in August of 2019. I mean, he, he, he secures the football well. He's not a dynamic guy. You're never going to fall over watching Matt Nichols' highlights tape. But he's a winner. He secures the football. He's a good leader. There are a lot of things that, that, they, that Ottawa felt that in a season where there were going to be all kinds of variables, and maybe they were better to go with a veteran guy who was familiar with the head coach as opposed to a younger guy who they're going to try to break in. That's why they went to Matt Nichols away from Nagarbuck. The problem is that Matt Nichols doesn't look like the guy who was throwing the football in 2019, whether he's got a tired arm or he's still regaining strength. I mean, again, it's almost it's more than two years ago that he – suffered his injury, and that begs the question of, you know, is he ever going to be what he was before? So they're going to Dominique Davis, you know, who was their opening week starter a year ago. Um, you know, the number that jumps out for him is five touchdown passes and 14 interceptions from last year. He's in his sixth year in the league. I think this is now time for Dominique Davis. Not that many guys get opportunities to be a starting quarterback more than once if it doesn't go well. And I, I think the fact that they brought him back suggests that Ottawa believes he still has an upside and that there was more to his struggles in 2019 than, than just his own performance. But you know, they, they need a strong performance out of Dominique Davis because I don't know how confident they feel going back to, back to Matt Nichols. And there isn't another experienced quarterback on the roster. They're already one and three. They're last in most offensive categories. Calgary's very different. I mean, Calgary, I joked to somebody this week, I said they might be the best one in 14 in CFL history. I mean, they've, they've had close losses, you know, in every one. You know, they haven't, they haven't been really beaten in a game uh, decisively yet. Their backup quarterback is the first CFL quarterback in the history of the league to throw for 300 yards three weeks in a row in his first three starts. When you pair that with, with Nick Arbuckle, who was the backup in 2019, throwing in three of throwing for 300 yards in three of his seven starts, that means Dave Dickinson, the last 10 games where he started a backup quarterback, he's got a 300-yard game out of that quarterback in six of them. So Jake Mayer isn't the reason they're losing. Bo Levi Mitchell is still a superior player, and he can make things happen, and you don't expect to see him throw four interceptions like he did when he played on a broken foot in the last game. But, you know, this is not a bad team. This is a team that, that's had some turnover. Um, you know, the receivers – are kind of the second group that have moved up to the first group. They've got a strong running game in Kadeem Carey. You know, they've had some issues on the offensive line from through through the uh, retirements around the offseason, and there's a debate about their defense. But I think Calgary can still recover this season. You know, Ottawa it really is just, I think, trying to get some hope on this season. And, hope, and for their sake, they hope they can get some of it with a performance from Dominique Davis tonight in, in Vancouver. Dave, thanks very much. Tons going on. Enjoy your weekend. My pleasure, Jim. Take care.